Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice J, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight, we continue our story. The Story of Aladdin, or The Wonderful Lamp, by Arabian Nights. In this great emergency, he said, There is no strength or power but in the great and high God. And in joining his hands to pray, he rubbed the ring which the magician had put on his finger. Immediately a genie of frightful aspect appeared and said, What wouldst thou have? I am ready to obey thee. I serve him who possesses the ring on thy finger, I and the other slaves of that ring. And another time Aladdin would have been frightened at the sight of so extraordinary a figure, but the danger he was in made him answer without hesitation, Whoever thou art, deliver me from this place. He had no sooner spoken these words than he found himself on the very spot where the magician had last left him, and no sign of cave or opening nor disturbance of the earth. Returning thanks to God for being once more in the world, he made the best of his way home. When he got within his mother's door, joy at seeing her and weakness for want of sustenance made him so faint that he remained for a long time as dead. As soon as he recovered, he related to his mother all that had happened to him, and they were both very vehement in their complaints of the cruel magician. Aladdin slept very soundly till late the next morning, when the first thing he said to his mother was that he wanted something to eat and wished she would give him his breakfast. Alas, child, said she, I have not a bit of bread to give you. You weighed up all the provisions I had in the house yesterday, but I have a little cotton which I have spun. I will go and sell it and buy bread and something for our dinner. Mother, replied Aladdin. Keep your cotton for another time, and give me the lamp I brought home with me yesterday. I will go and sell it, and the money I shall get for it will serve both for breakfast and dinner, and perhaps supper too. Aladdin's mother took the lamp and said to her son, Here it is, but it is very dirty. If it were a little cleaner, I believe it would bring something more. She took some fine sand and water to clean it, but she had no sooner begun to rub it than in an instant a hideous genie of gigantic size appeared before her and said to her in a voice of thunder, What wouldst thou have? I am ready to obey thee as thy slave, and the slave of all those who have that lamp in their hands. I and the other slaves of the lamp. Aladdin's mother, terrified at the sight of the genie, fainted when Aladdin who had seen such a phantom in the cavern, snatched a lamp out of his mother's hand and said to the genie boldly, I am hungry. Bring me something to eat. The genie disappeared immediately and in an instant returned with a large silver tray, holding twelve covered dishes of the same metal, which contained the most delicious viands, six large white bread cakes on two plates, two flagons of wine and two silver cups. All these he placed upon a carpet and disappeared, 
This was done before Aladdin's mother recovered from her swoon. Aladdin had fetched some water and sprinkled it in her face to recover her. Whether that or the smell of the meat affected her cure, it was not long before she came to herself. Mother, said Aladdin, be not afraid. Get up and eat. Here is what will put you in heart, and at the same time satisfy my extreme hunger. His mother was much surprised to see the great tray, twelve dishes, six loaves, the two flagons and cups, and to smell the savory odor which exhaled from the dishes. Child, said she, to whom are we obliged for this great plenty and liberal? Has the sultan been made acquainted with our poverty and had compassion on us? It is no matter, mother, said Aladdin. Let us sit down and eat, for you have almost as much need of a good breakfast as I myself. When we have done, I will tell you. Accordingly, both mother and son sat down and ate with the better relish as the table was so well furnished. But all the time Aladdin's mother could not forbear looking at and admiring the tray and dishes, though she could not judge whether they were silver or any other metal, and the novelty more than the value attracted her attention. The mother and son sat at breakfast till it was dinner time, and then they thought it would be best to put the two meals together. Yet, after this, they found they should have enough left for supper, and two meals for the next day. When Aladdin's mother had taken away and set by what was left, she went and sat down by her son on the sofa, saying, I expect now that you will satisfy my impatience, and tell me exactly what passed between the genie and you while I was in a swoon. He readily complied with her request. She was in as great amazement at what her son told her as at the appearance of the genie and said to him, But son, what have we to do with genies? I never heard that any of my acquaintance had ever seen one. How came that vile genie to address himself to me, and not to you, to whom he had appeared before in the cave? Mother, answered Aladdin, the genie you saw is not the one who appeared to me. If you remember, he that I first saw called himself the slave of the ring on my finger, and this you saw called himself the slave of the lamp you had in your hand. But I believe you did not hear him, for I think you fainted as soon as he began to speak. What? cried the mother. Was your lamp then the occasion of that cursed genie's addressing himself to me rather than to you? Oh, my son, take it out of my sight and put it where you please. I would rather you would sell it and run the hazard of being frightened to death again by touching it. If you would take my advice, you would part also with the ring, and not have anything to do with genies, who, as our prophet has told us, are only devils. With your leave, mother, replied Aladdin, I shall now take care how I sell a lamp which may be so serviceable both to you and me. That false and wicked magician would not have undertaken so long a journey to secure this wonderful lamp, if he had not known its value to exceed that of gold and silver. And since we have honestly come by it, let us make a profitable use of it, without making any great show and exciting the envy and jealousy of our neighbors. However, since the genies frighten you so much, I will take it out of your sight, and put it where I may find it when I want it. 
The ring I cannot resolve to part with, for without that you had never seen me again, and though I am alive now, perhaps if it were gone, I might not be so some moments hence. Therefore I hope you will give me leave to keep it, and to wear it always on my finger. Aladdin's mother replied that he might do what he pleased. For her part, she would have nothing to do with genies, and never say anything more about them. By the next night they had eaten all the provisions a genie had brought, and the next day Aladdin, who could not bear the thought of hunger, putting one of the silver dishes under his vest, went out early to sell it. Addressing himself to someone he met in the streets, he took him aside, and pulling out the plate, asked him if he would buy it. The cunning gentleman took the dish, examined it, and as soon as he found that it was good silver, asked Aladdin at how much he valued it. Aladdin, who had never been used to such traffic, told him he would trust to his judgment and honor. The gentleman was somewhat confounded at this plain dealing, and doubting whether Aladdin understood the material or the full value of what he offered to sell, took a piece of gold out of his purse and gave it to him, though it was but the sixtieth part of the worth of the plate. Aladdin, taking the money very eagerly, retired with so much haste that the gentleman, not content with the exorbitancy of his profit, was vexed he had not penetrated into his ignorance, and was going to run after him to endeavor to get some change out of the piece of gold. But the boy ran so fast and had got so far that it would have been impossible to overtake him. Before Aladdin went home, he called at a baker's, bought some cakes of bread, changed his money, and on his return gave the rest to his mother who went and purchased provisions enough to last them some time. After this manner they lived, until Aladdin had sold the twelve dishes singly, as necessity pressed, to the gentleman for the same money, who, after the first time, durst not offer him less, for fear of losing so good a bargain. When he had sold the last dish, he had recourse to the tray, which weighed ten times as much as the dishes, and would have carried it to his old purchaser, but that it was too large and cumbersome. Therefore, he was obliged to bring him home with him to his mother's, where, after the gentleman had examined the weight of the tray, he laid down ten pieces of gold, with which Aladdin was very well satisfied. When all the money was spent, Aladdin had recourse again to the lamp. He took it in his hands, looked for the part where his mother had rubbed it with the sand, and rubbed it also. The genie immediately appeared and said, what wouldst thou have? I am ready to obey thee as my slave, and the slave of all those who have that lamp in their hands. I am the other slaves of the lamp. I am hungry, said Aladdin. Bring me something to eat. The genie disappeared, and presently returned with the tray holding the same number of covered dishes as before, set it down, and vanished. As soon as Aladdin found that their provisions were again expended, he took one of the dishes and went to look for his special friend. But as he was passing by a goldsmith's shop, the goldsmith, perceiving him, called to him and said, My lad, I imagine that you have something to sell to your friend, whom I often see you visit. Perhaps you do not know that he is a great rogue. I will give you the full worth of what you have to sell or I will direct you to other merchants who will not cheat you. This offer induced Aladdin to pull his plate from under his vest and show it to the goldsmith, 
At first sight he perceived that it was made of the finest silver, and asked if he had sold such as that to his friend. When Aladdin told him he had sold him twelve such, for a piece of gold each, "'What a villain!' cried the goldsmith. "'But,' added he, "'my son, what is past cannot be recalled. "'By showing you the value of this plate, "'which is of the finest silver we use in our shops, "'I will let you see how much he has cheated you.' "'The goldsmith took a pair of scales, weighed the dish, "'and assured him that his plate would fetch by weight sixty pieces of gold, "'which he offered to pay down immediately.' Aladdin thanked him for his fair dealing, and never after went to any other person. Though Aladdin and his mother had an inexhaustible treasure in their lamp, and might have had whatever they wished for, yet they lived with the same frugality as before, and it may easily be supposed that the money for which Aladdin had sold the dishes and tray was sufficient to maintain them some time. During this interval, Aladdin frequented the shops of the principal merchants, where they sold cloth of gold and silver, linens, silk stuffs, and jewelry, and oftentimes, joining in their conversation, acquired the knowledge of the world and a desire to improve himself. By his acquaintance among the jewelers, he came to know that the fruits which he had gathered when he took the lamp were, instead of colored glass, stones of inestimable value. But he had the prudence not to mention this to anyone, not even to his mother. One day, as Aladdin was walking about the town, he heard an order proclaimed, commanding the people to shut up their shops and houses, and keep within doors, while the princess Budir al-Budur, the sultan's daughter, went to the bath and returned. This proclamation inspired Aladdin with eager desire to see the princess's face, which he determined to gratify by placing himself behind the door of the bath, so that he could not fail to see her face. Aladdin had not long concealed himself before the princess came. She was attended by a great crowd of ladies, slaves, and mutes, who walked on each side and behind her. When she came within three or four paces of the door of the bath, she took off her veil, and gave Aladdin an opportunity of a full view of her face. The princess was a noted beauty. Her eyes were large, lively, and sparkling, her smile bewitching her nose faultless, her mouth small, her lips vermilion. It is not therefore surprising that Aladdin, who had never before seen such a blaze of charms, was dazzled and enchanted. After the princess had passed by and entered the bath, Aladdin quitted his hiding place and went home. His mother perceived him to be more thoughtful and melancholy than usual, and asked what had happened to make him so, or if he were ill. He then told his mother all his adventure, and concluded by declaring, I love the princess more than I can express, and am resolved that I will ask her in marriage of the sultan. Aladdin's mother listened with surprise to what her son told her. When he talked of asking the princess in marriage, she laughed aloud. Alas, child, said she, what are you thinking of? You must be mad to talk thus. I assure you, mother, replied Aladdin, that I am not mad, but in my right senses. I foresaw that you would reproach me with folly and extravagance. I must tell you once more that I am resolved to demand the princess of the sultan in marriage, nor do I despair of success. 
I have the slaves of the lamp and of the ring to help me, and you know how powerful their aid is. And I also have another secret to tell you. These pieces of glass, which I got from the trees in the garden of the subterranean palace, are jewels of inestimable value and fit for the greatest monarchs. All the precious stones the jewelers have in Baghdad are not to be compared to mine for size or beauty, and I am sure that the offer of them will secure the favor of the sultan. You have a large porcelain dish fit to hold them. Fetch it, and let us see how they will look when we have arranged them according to their different colors. Aladdin's mother brought the china dish. Then he took the jewels out of the two purses in which he had kept them, and placed them in order according to his fancy. But the brightness and luster they emitted in the daytime, and the variety of the colors, so dazzled the eyes both of mother and son, that they were astonished beyond measure. Aladdin's mother, emboldened by the sight of these rich jewels, and fearful lest her son should be guilty of greater extravagance, complied with his request, and promised to go early the next morning to the palace of the sultan. Aladdin rose before daybreak, awakened his mother, pressing her to go to the sultan's palace and to get admittance, if possible, before the grand vizier, the other viziers, and the great officers of state went in to take their seats in the divan, where the sultan always attended in person. Aladdin's mother took the china dish in which they had put the jewels the day before, wrapped it in two fine napkins, and set forward for the sultan's palace. When she came to the gates, the Grand Vizier, the other viziers, and most distinguished lords of the court were just gone in, but notwithstanding the crowd of people was great, she got into the divan, a spacious hall, the entrance into which was very magnificent. She placed herself just before the Sultan, and the Grand Vizier, and the great lords, who sat in council on his right and left hand. Several causes were called according to their order, pleaded and adjudged, until the time the divan generally broke up, when the sultan, rising, returned to his apartment, attended by the grand vizier, the other viziers, and ministers of state, then retired, as also did all those whose business had called them thither. Aladdin's mother, seeing the sultan retire, and all the people depart, judged rightly that he would not sit again that day, and resolved to go home. On her arrival, she said with much simplicity, Son, I have seen the Sultan, and am very well persuaded he has seen me too, for I placed myself just before him, but he was so much taken up with those who attended on all sides of him that I pitied him and wondered at his patience. At last I believe he was heartily tired, for he rose up suddenly and would not hear a great many who were ready prepared to speak to him, but went away at which I was well pleased, for indeed I began to lose all patience, and was extremely fatigued with staying so long. But there is no harm done. I will go again tomorrow. Perhaps the Sultan may not be so busy. We'll return with our story on our next episode. I want to remind you that we're always on the hunt for great stories such as this one to feature on the show. And if you know of any, you can email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel, tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. Remember to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. 
And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every single page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>